So they talk about the cycle of poverty, but I don't think people talk enough about the cycle of success. When you do these things and you start working on them, then things get better, right? You know, I went from paying $345 a month on my car to $245 a month. So, you know, when you do the work, you get the rewards. Welcome to the New Money Podcast, where we have life and money conversations to help increase the financial well-being of UW-Green Bay students and the Northeast Wisconsin community. New Money also helps students advance their knowledge and career opportunities in the financial advisory profession. This show is sponsored by the Charles Schwab Foundation Center for Personal Financial Planning at the Coffrin School of Business. I am your host, Dr. Preston Cherry, director of the center, head of the financial planning program, and CFP professional. All right, let's chop it up. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the New Money Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Preston Cherry. I'm the head of the financial planning program here at UWGB. And we talk about financial planning topics that help inspire people to connect their life and money with their life aspirations to help them accomplish their goals. And we also want to help students, inspire them to get into the financial planning profession. And new money is an acronym, right? Northeast Wisconsin and how to deal with your money. So we're just trying to inspire and talk about conversations that inspire transformative change. And I came across a wonderful human being during my conversations <laughs> across the last year. Her name is Liz Carey. She is a, a world-renowned reporter and freelance writer. If you have read a publication, she's probably published something in it. She has six biographies that she's ghostwritten. She has, she's full of wonderful stories. And actually, Liz contacted me to ask me to be an interviewee, so to speak, about personal finance. And I actually came across her story in reverse. I was like, wow, Liz, you have a phenomenal story to share, particularly about how financial planning has influenced her life. So as somebody that's very successful, that's won a lot of awards in publication and storytelling in your field and in in your life, Liz, welcome to the show. And thank you for being willing to share your story and telling it in an award-winning fashion and how financial planning and just aligning your life and money has inspired and transformed your life. So Tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, about your work, first of all, and then let's get into how life and money just started early on in your life. Okay. So like I said, like you said, I'm a reporter. When I went to college, I wanted to be a doctor like my dad, but organic chemistry sort of put the nail in the coffin to that career. So, you know, (laughs) I decided to do the thing that I loved the most, which was writing. And uh, I started off as a stringer for the Cincinnati Inquirer and would go into different places. And, you know, a stringer is somebody who is basically a freelancer, but um, they go in and and the editor gives them an assignment. You go in, you do the story, you come back out, you give them the story, and then you get paid. For the longest time, I had my first paycheck. Uh, which was a hundred dollars. And I thought that that was like, oh, you know, that was just awesome. Four stories and a hundred dollars. <laughs> but then, you know, I wrote for news weeklies and the free alternative weeklies that you get in big cities and eventually got married. And my husband and I decided we'd always wanted to live in either North Carolina or South Carolina. And an opportunity came up in South Carolina 
So we moved there. And I was a daily reporter for the Anderson Independent Mail for about 12 years and um, decided that uh, I wanted to be, you know, one of the people who was doing things as opposed to writing. And so I quit and became a vice president for the local chamber of commerce. And after about two years, I realized I really hate chambers of commerce. <laughs> and then so I said, you know, I just can't do this anymore and um, decided to be a freelance writer. And so um, here we are, seven, almost eight years later. Most people who go into freelance writing last about a year or two. So I feel really fortunate and blessed to have been able to do this for as long as I have. Because I don't think that I can go back to working for somebody else after, yeah. you know, running my own life for eight years and not having to have editors telling me when I need to be at work and when I don't need to be at work and stuff like that. I, I just don't think that I could do anything else. <laughs> yeah. where, where, where did the gift of, you know, writing and just storytelling come from in all these different aspects, whether it be in, you know, reporter form or uh, biography form and all this, just where the gift of transforming stories come from? I'm a Southern woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that says it all right there. You can do that on a porch. Yeah, you, you, know. <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in both on my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family, every family get together, all of us sort of sit around the dinner table afterwards talking about politics and stories. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, you know, you take those things and you internalize them, you know, mm -hmm. um, almost all of my aunts are either teachers or nurses, you know, one of them, she owned a bar in Michigan, mm -hmm. but all of those are, you know, very much about being in with people and sort of communicating, expressing ideas. So I think that, you know, it's just something that we sort of grew up with. And, you know, you know, I look back at some of my first stuff and I can't believe that people actually pay me to do this because it really sucked. You have to do this for a long time um, to get better at it. And I think, you know, just like with everything else, the more you do something, the better at it you get. Right. right. So when you've been doing something for 30 years, Right, 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 right. You know, stories, and you know this as a story writer, you know, and a communicator, stories make us human. They make us human. Right. And I think through my interactions with you, you know, we had this human connection. And then that's how we uncovered, you know, this story. You were writing about my story and then we uncovered your story. So right. let's unpack that a little bit. You share with me, he's just like, wow. Because we were talking about life and money and the intersections of it and how both of our journeys kind of just transform our lives. And you, right. and you're like, you know, can I share my story? You know, I want to share my story and get it out. You know, that's what you're asking me. I was like, no, please. I mean, it's going to touch someone. So let's start a little bit about the beginning, you know, far as, you know, how did, uh, cause you were just sharing with me that you're talking about life and money to your young adult children now, you know, but how did, how did the conversations go in your home as a young adult? My dad was a doctor. My mom was a teacher and they are both from very, I want to say not wealthy. It's not like, well, like I said, we're kind of poor. My mom had, she had six brothers and sisters. My dad had seven brothers and sisters. Very, very rural Eastern Kentucky upbringing. Mm -hmm. So in my family at home, we didn't talk about money, you know? And I got a uh, checking account when I was like 15, 16 years old, because I'd been working since I was 12. You know, I started working at a newspaper, folding the ads and the inserts and stuff like that that went inside the newspaper just to have money to, you know, buy makeup with or yeah. go to the movies with or whatever, you know, it was not that big of a deal. 
But then when I got older, you know, I had jobs at Super X, and which is, I guess, what CVS was before it became CVS. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess people would call it pin money, but, you know, I used that to, my dad died when I was 12. So mom was sort of like taking care of me and she wanted me to be able to have that, you know, money to, so that she wasn't always having to figure out how to pay me to take care of all this stuff. And I just never balanced my checkbook. Mm-hmm. So I would always just be writing checks, you know, mm-hmm. can't be out of money, still got checks left, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I would get overdrawn and uh, mom would get mad at me because she'd have to fix everything. And then she'd just get mad, but never really sat down and teach me how to balance my checkbook. Right. Right. So there weren't a lot of conversations about money when I was growing up, except for the fact that I spent a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that could be and maybe you could touch on that a little bit. But sometimes, you know, those conversations, no shame and judgment about that. You know, sometimes our households were doing the best that they could with the information that they had, you know, right. And the skills that they had at the time, you know, and now that we have advanced to where we are, it's like, okay, we can look back on that and say, okay, we want to do a little bit better and pay it forward to the next generation, do better with ourselves. And then also, you know, pay it forward for the next generation. What are are your thoughts about that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm, uh, we were talking about before, I talk to my kids about money all the time. And basically because of the struggles that I had with my ex-husband, you know, and how that sort of transformed who I am now. And I don't want my kids to have to go through the struggles that I went through. I mean, they will, you know, when you're 20 something years old, or when you're in college, you know, you go through those struggles with money. I think that's a part of growing up. You have to go through that because you're not making as much as everybody else is. You're not going to get out of school and make $100,000 a year, right? You know, that takes time and it takes expertise to get to those places where you're sort of comfortable with how much money you make. But I think sometimes our parents were taught you just don't talk about money, right? You don't talk about money. You don't talk about status, you know, those are things that you don't, you don't discuss. But for me, discussing that with my kids is really, really important. And like I was saying, you know, one's 22, one's 24, 22 year old saves money, doesn't like to spend it. You know, he's very conscious about making sure he pays his bills, making sure that, you know, he saves up enough money to move out on his own. He wants to uh, have three months worth of bills in his bank account, just in case, because that's just who he is as a person. 24 year old, he pays his bills and stuff like that, but he doesn't save up money, you know, and he's not as concerned about credit ratings and things like that. So, you know, I, I talk to them and try and get them to both come in to be, you know, better financially secure people, but they just have different philosophies Mm -hmm. on money. And, you know, it may change down the road, but we'll see. Yeah, but you know, you introduced the conversation, you did it early, you know, at least they have a foundation, which is a little bit more than you had, right. you know, and they have those, and they, every individual can make their own choices after they've had the, you know, the compassion, you sat them down because you love them. You say, okay, I care about you. Here's a little information, right? Here's yeah. my story. And then here's some information that they can help you with better decisions about your money and your life going forward. And then it's on you to carry that forward, you know, in your own unique way. Like you said, you have exactly. four individuals that are going to carry that in their own, but at least they had the foundation and that's better than not having anything. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, you know, my journey with my ex-husband really sort of tempered what we went through and how they deal with it and their views on money. Because I think that some people think that reporters make a lot of money. And I will tell you that is not the case. (laughs) Um, My ex-husband was a cable guy for charter spectrum, whatever you call it in your world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he made okay money. But between the two of us, I don't think that we were making maybe $75,000, $80,000 a year. For the whole, for the family. And, you know, it's not bad. Yeah. And that's the key thing, too, Liz, is like I want everybody to know, too. It's like money in life is where you are, you know. Yeah. Because some folks say you got to make a whole bunch amount of money. You you got, you know, to, to talk about, you know, life and money together. When we're having money conversations, we're talking about we're meeting you where you are. You know, right. and and you're not talking about somebody else's household or comparing oneself Life and money can be about where you are. So, right, exactly. And I don't think that there needs to be this, there's a social sort of stigma about, you know, oh my God, I'm not making six figure income. You know, um, yeah, mm. lots of people don't make six figure income and they're okay. Yeah. And it's okay if you are too. <laughs> and it's okay if you are. Yeah. You know, it's more power to you. But we struggled a lot with money. It always seemed like there was just never enough money. We were always overdrawn. We were always struggling to pay bills. We were struggling. And I don't, to this day, I don't know where any of that stuff went. I don't know what happened because we should have been able to take care of everything, but but we just weren't. And there got to be a point in time where I was like, okay, I'm taking this job at the chamber because we have to have that bump in pay. So that was an extra $10,000 a year for me, which, you know, did bump us up in pay. But, you know, for a couple of months, we had extra money to pay everything. And then it just, it's like, how do I put it? You grow into your debt. Mm. You know, even when you're making more money, sometimes you grow into that. And then, you know, it's all gone again. Mm -hmm. So we really struggled. And then I had to have my hip replaced, my right hip. And I thought, oh, and I was, by that time I was a freelance writer, was just starting out, had to have my hip replaced. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fine. You know, I'll just have time to lay around in bed and write, you know, that's just no big deal. I won't miss anything, you mm-hmm. know, because nobody told me that there was going to be Demerol involved. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was going to have to be relearning how to walk and relearning how to do everything. So that did not work out well. You know, I lost a lot of time and I lost a lot of money. And the next thing we know, we're getting evicted, you know, and we were fortunate enough to find a place to stay through an agency that helps families who are facing homelessness Mm -hmm. that gives them a house. So we were able to go into that facility. It was an actual house. So we were like renting the house for like $250 a month as opposed to, you know, $1,000 a month that you normally would. And there was this guy, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to get you some financial help. We're going to get you some a financial planner. So we go and we sit down and talk to this guy. And it turns out he's an engineer. And he has a very strict way of looking at things. And okay. he kept looking at me and like, you know, maybe you just need to get a job. And I'm like, I have a job. I am a writer. I'm, I'm making money. He's like, well, clearly it's not working out well for you. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's not. This is it. I'm yeah, done with this. Yeah. Right. That's not a judgment there. Shame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And I was like, I'm never talking to anybody about all my money ever again. This is just stupid. I hate this. I can't stand mm. it. But I finally, you know, I dug us out of about $7,000 in debt, including, you know, whatever the debt with um, the surgeries from utilities, the whole nine yards, got us into a rental house. And when I say I, I really mean I. My husband sort of left me with everything. So mm -hmm. I had the bills, the kids, the cleaning, the groceries, the cars, everything. Mm -hmm. So I got us out of all that debt and I decided that I needed to leave the marriage. Mm -hmm. So I sort of put together this plan for myself to get us out of debt, to give me some money to, to move back to Kentucky with and to work on the, his credit rating. Okay. It was really important to me to make sure that that he was not hamstrung by my leaving. So if you're handling all the bills and you know all the finances and stuff like that, if you leave, that leaves somebody else sort of at a handicap. And I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. So just put together a plan and, and went forward to make sure that everything was okay when I left. And so finally I left and came back to Kentucky, moved in with my mom. So that was great. Because I didn't have to pay bills. I could really work on my business. Right. And um, worked on it for about a year. And then I went to this, um, oddly enough, it was a podcast meeting. Wow. And a full circle. <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this one guy. And he's a financial planner. And he and I really hit it off. So I went in and I started talking to him. I'm like, Alan? this is what I want. I mean, I want to be able to have this much money. I, I want to be able to have money in the bank. I want to be able to have somebody help me make decisions. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, let's go. And he sort of set up a plan for me. Now, I think that first year, you know, I was taking him, uh, he was, I was having a hundred dollars automatically drafted from my checking account into a money market account. And Probably every other month, I took $100 back out, you know, so it was not like it was, I was saving money, but it was not the same way. Before we go into that, because now we're getting into the nuts and bolts of the, of the plan and what helped and, and kind of the strategy. You said something magical, which is the first time you came across a planner and it was a lot of judgment, you know, get a job, this, that, and the other. And that turns a lot of people off and they never come back. So it's really key to let people know that that didn't make you feel good. And you could have never entertained another financial planning relationship because this one you're about to get into and tell us a great story about, that could have never happened had you not. Can you tell us a little bit about what that conversation with the second planner, why you chose to go ahead and engage with this person, how that conversation was different from the first one? Okay, so let's back up to the first one. So like I said, this guy was a retired engineer very structured, very regimental, blah, 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 everything. And as much as I really wanted to punch him in the throat most of the time, he did teach me some really great stuff. I mean, he gave me, it was a six-page budget, <laughs> but, you know, it was a format for looking at how much we were spending, where everything was going, and where everything should be going, how much we were having come in, how much we were having come out. So, you know, it was a six different sheets in a an Excel spreadsheet that really helped me to think about things in a different light. If I hadn't had that, I would not have been able to pay off that debt. Okay. Save up all that money. I just didn't I was not comfortable around him as a person. 
Okay. You know, I was the one that was handling all the finances and he would talk to my ex-husband instead of talking to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look at me. I'm the one that's doing this. You know, I'm the one that's making sure the bills get paid. But he was very old school, you know. All right. So those are those human communication skills that are necessary. So I'm glad you told that story because now there is something about this second person that connected with you because connection and communication are very important in order to have a, a client planner relationship. So yeah, please continue about what made the second time more fruitful. What was different? Yeah. So Alan and I just connected on a different level. He's nice. He was not judgmental. He was like, you know, my job is just here to help you to make sure that you reach your goals. And he made me sit down and figure out what my goals were, as opposed mm. to saying, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to do this. Here's, you know, it was a much different relationship. And I think that that's the same when you're looking at a therapist, when you're looking at a doctor, when you're looking at, you know, just about anything, you have to have that sort of personal relationship with them. And Alan and I, even though we're very, very different, we were able to find that common ground and be able to have a a one-on-one conversation that was enjoyable as opposed to being didactic. Right, right. No, that's absolutely right. It was encouragement. It was, you know, it was encouragement and that creating an environment, a trusting environment. They said, okay, I want to, I want to engage in my plan. Let's move forward. Uh, That's, that's a great, that's a great story. Um, So yeah, so you're about to get into, you know, about the things that you started exercising in your life. You said, you know, that hundred, you started saving a hundred dollars, started taking a hundred dollars. Let's expound on that. So it started out one way. And then you shared with me that, you know, you started taking it after this part, then you started taking into account what could really help you. And man, it's been helping you just, I mean, exponentially since then, because every time I exchange an email with you, you have another success story. So how did it, how did it come from saving a hundred dollars, taking a hundred dollars out to actually using some of these things and saying, wow, this, this stuff works. Right. I think one of the biggest things was I love my mom. I love my mom to death, but I just didn't want to be in that house anymore. I needed mm-hmm. to get out on my own. So I knew that I had to make some changes in order to be able to afford to be out on my own. And granted, it was like a year and a half afterwards, a year and nine months afterwards, I moved out of my mom's house and I didn't know whether I was going to be able to make it or not. And that's kind of a, a scary thing, but you know, a good friend of mine once said, you can't walk on water if you're too scared to get out of the boat, right? <laughs> so you kind of have to make those leaps of faith. And yeah. so I moved out in October and in January, I sat down with uh, Alan and I was like, okay, here's where I want to go. And we started to set together a plan of where we needed to be. And one of the big things that I had to talk to him about was I knew my 2007 Jeep Commander was on its last legs. Okay. And I'm like, do I bite the bullet and fix it? Or do I get a new car? Or what do I do with this? And he was able, we talked through a couple of things and he was, you know, we made some decisions, but it wasn't him making the decision for me. Mm. It was him sort of guiding and helping me to figure out the decision, which was a good thing because in February the Jeep died (laughs) and I had to buy a new car. But the part that I loved the most about that was that because I had been saving money through him, I had money to put down as a down payment. 
And when I had been married before with my husband, we always had to go to those buy here, pay here lots because we didn't have the credit to go to a regular dealership. So I walked into the dealership scared to death. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I looked at him like, okay, here's how much money I can put down and here's what I can pay for each month. Mm -hmm. Help me get into a car. So I walked in with $2,000 and I walked out with a car and I was just flabbergasted. I mean, I'm like, I did this. I did this on my own, you know, after years of having my husband tell me that I was the problem, that, you know, I didn't know how to take care of the finances for the family and that I was, you know, terrible at all this. All of a sudden, I did it. Hmm. I was paying my bills. You know, I was taking care of the rent and the utilities. And now I just bought a car and I my cats and dog were, you know, I was able to take them to the vet if I needed to. And I was able to take care of my kids. So, you know, I was like, Maybe I'm not the problem. And there was this whew, mm, yeah. <laughs> kind of affirming thing to be able to have these goals and to have accomplished these things. So Alan and I started talking. And then in March, so I get the car in February. In March, I went to the doctor and the doctor said I needed to have my hip, my knee, and my shoulder replaced. And the first person I turned to was Alan. Because I knew that that is a huge freaking yeah. financial decision, right? Mm -hmm. And it was either, okay, do I do one a year for the next three years and be in pain? Or do I try and do all three in one year? Right. And he and I sat down and he's like, you do all three in one year and you'll save $21,000 over the course of three years. Three and years. I'm like, yeah, okay. Because every year, reset the deductible and reset the maximum out of the pocket. That's right. That's a huge chunk of change. Yes. Yes. That's a down payment on a house. Yes, that is. Mm -hmm. You know? So when we talked about that, he was able to say, okay, let's set you up with an HSA. Let's go ahead and up the amount of money that you're putting into your savings so that you have money when you're off of work because you're going to be off work for a while. And he's like, you need to figure out on your end if you can find other streams of revenue. Mm -hmm. So we set up the HSA. We set up the savings accounts. I saved up my max out of pocket for my health insurance is $7,000 a year. So I was able to save up $7,000 over the course of the year, have all three of those surgeries, only miss like two weeks for each surgery. It was only out, you know, a couple of thousand dollars and was able to pull in new clients so that I could make up that money and come out at the end of it, not only having all these joints replaced and becoming the bionic woman, but also being able to pay for everything, you know, um, right. that was an amazing feeling. And to have that sort of partnership with somebody that they were, you know, he checked up on me after every surgery. He helped me with the taxes part of it. He's like, okay, you need to do this. You need to do this. We're going to go ahead and take care of this. And that was just this sort of like, wow, you yeah. know? Yeah. To have that trust, that trust, somebody that's going to have your best interest and, you know, just yeah. organically have your best interest, knowing that person, like you said, a guide and have some information for you across all of these domains. 
you know, wow, Liz. I mean, your story, like you said, being affirmed, uh, having right. somebody to, to transfer some confidence, some clarity, yeah. you know, somebody to hear you in your time of need, you know, through your life transitions, you know. Right, right. And did you ever think financial planning was this? I mean, because what you've explained, Liz, you have no idea how many the listeners you're going to help by telling this story because it is comprehensive financial planning. A lot of folks, you know, don't know what financial planning is, what you've, all your stories of what you've explained, you know, transitioning out of uh, relational, long-term relations, children, health, company transforming from uh, not having income to having income, multiple income streams, employee benefit, right. all of these things. That's comprehensive planning. And some people just don't know what financial planning is. And your stories have said all that. And, and trusting a, a planner. Wow. Yeah. So did you know that was planning? No, I didn't. I had no idea. I mean, I just thought I was going to like put $100 a month away into, you know, a money market account and it was going to sit there and gain interest. And then magically I would have a million dollars by the time I retired. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, that was what I sort of assumed. But then the relationship has evolved. Now we have like a standing every six month appointment. So I went back in March of this year. And we reevaluated where I was, you know, we talked about what had happened, you know, and where I was in terms of the goals that we had set and we made new goals. And so the new goals were retirement account, tax account, life insurance, and saving up for a house. The hit that came to the economy this year, mm -hmm. I was not able to save up the money to buy a house because I really had to help my kids when you're minimum wage or, or they're both, I guess they, I wouldn't, I guess they are minimum wage. They're both in food service. Right. They were both working for Cracker Barrel. Mm -hmm. So they took a hit and it was really tough for them in some instances just to have the gas money to go back and forth to work. So there was a lot of times that I was, you know, helping them instead yeah. of putting money in my yeah. account and, you know. Priority shift. You gotta, you know, you gotta roll, you gotta yeah. adapt. Yeah, exactly. But I have life insurance. I have a retirement account. Mm -hmm. um, Alan and I were able to set up some multiple income streams. Um, on October 1st, I'm publishing my first ebook about um, rural myths and legends. And then all of that money is being shifted into an account and then sent to two different people, me and then um, the Daily Yonder that I write for that originally published a lot of my stories. So lots of successes. And I have money in the bank. I mean, I... That was the thing that, that with my kids, I was like, you just don't understand until you have money in the bank, mm -hmm. how much less stressed you are. Mm. When they were younger, I was always stressed because I was always worried, where's that next paycheck coming? You know, what, what's it going to cover? How am I going to take the money from here to cover this? And what if I don't spend on this I like, so I can cover that, you know? And you're always sort of like anxious and sort of, uh, I think we were talking about it before. You're always afraid. You're always afraid of calling up and checking that bank balance. Yeah. And um, like I told you, what I have told my kids is, you know, you can't be afraid of it. You can't be afraid of finances because if you're afraid of your money, mm -hmm. your money controls your life instead of you controlling your money's life. Wow. When you said that, it reminded me of, because you said it so perfectly and it reminds me of a, of a statement that, you know, I use sometimes it says, let your life lead your money. 
and not your money lead your life. And that's exactly what you just said there. And like you right. said, you know, it, it uh, the other way around contributes to, you know, like you said, worry, anxiety and all that. And you said something else in your story, which you had the willingness to change. You know, you was like, OK, I, I want to do something different. I know what I don't want to do, but I do know what I do want to do. And that leads to aspiration. And that's why your story is transformative. You know, it uh, it inspires people. And I can see why you wanted to share because it's like, yes, this can inspire some folks. And it surely has. Yeah. Before we wrap up, what is what is this one thing that you wanted? If you had one thing to close on, you said, you know what? I want people to take away from this story. What What would that be, Liz? I would say that it's, you know, gosh. Alan and I set goals together, but ultimately it was up to me. Mm. I was the one that had to have the discipline to say, okay, you know, pay your bills first and everything else second, you know, pay your bills, pay yourself, then play. Mm -hmm. And by pay yourself, I mean, put some money in savings. Mm -hmm. But uh, that would be my biggest thing that I tell my kids all the time, you know, take care of your bills first take care of everything else second. And it all depends on you doing the things that you need to do. Alan's funny. He says, you know, Liz, I use you as like the poster child for all my clients. And I'm like, Mm. what are you talking about? He goes, well, they all say they're going to do all of this stuff. Mm. And then they never do it. Mm. Right. I had to uh, quit smoking to get the life insurance policy. Mm. If I had done it while I was smoking, it would have been like $180 a month. Mm-hmm. I quit smoking and it dropped to 45. It's like, mm. I guess we're quitting smoking. So not only <laughs> did I have all that extra money, you know, but now I have life insurance and I'm not paying as much as anyone else. And, and you know, here's the other thing. When we met in March, Alan was like, why don't we refinance your car? And I'm like, I only had it for a year. He's like, yeah. And it's at 24%. Let's refinance it because your credit rating is better now than it was last year. You can get a better rate. So I did. And the percentage rate went from 24% to 4%. Because mm. I've been doing so much work and had, you know, changed the amount of money that I was making. I'm now making almost as much as we were both making together when I was married. Credit rating was better. I had more stability. I had more money that I was coming in. And it dropped the payment. So they talk about the cycle of poverty. But I don't think people talk enough about the cycle of success. Yeah. You know, when you do these things and you start working on them, then things get better, right? You know, I went from paying $345 a month on my car to $245 a month. So, you know, when you do the work, you get the rewards. That's right. That's right. And no way, no way better to wrap up than right there than on a high note, the arc of success. Liz, I'm so glad that we were able to do this. It's going to help so many people when people take the time out and listen to this particular show, this episode. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It took a lot of courage in order to be vulnerable and put your story out there. I appreciate you. No problem. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk. It was great. Cool beans. All right, everybody. uh, Tune in on the show and all your favorite platforms. And uh, we'll see you next time. And we'll be chopping it up again. Talk soon. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in and chopping it up with me, your host, Dr. Cherry, and our guest on the New Money Podcast. We hope this episode brought impact and insight to your journey. New Money is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Phoenix Studios executive producer is Ryan Martin, 
and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Valise. If you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website at uwgb.edu slash podcast to check out our past episodes of this and all our shows. Thanks for listening. The information shared in this recording and biased guests represents the guest views and opinions and does not represent the views or opinions of the host, guest, or university. The content has been made for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not, nor is intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation.